Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Writers, agents, and publishers, for the first time since the Gutenberg Press, find themselves lost in a maze of mystery as technology alters the shape of the publishing industry. Searching for answers is a group of writers throwing pop culture, writing, and publishing into a crucible of clarity passion, and humor. This group is the Right Pack. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Right Pack Radio. Uh, I'm Brad R. Cook, and I get to be the host today yet again. That's kind of exciting. Uh, I am an author, publisher, and uh, my steampunk novel will be coming out later. Uh, Today we have with us... Uh, My name is Jennifer Stolzer. I'm a fantasy author and illustrator. I'm Matt McGraw. I'm an amateur short story writer mostly, and I'm working on a book called Patrick the Spider with Jennifer. Excellent. And then the co-host today, as always, is... Kathleen Kayembe. Writer, totally geeky person, kind of weird. Yes. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> All right. Today, uh, today's topic, we're going to be talking a little bit about world building. So uh, world building is something all writers need to do. Uh, we're referring to how do you craft and how do you create the, the world of your story. So, you know, we all have a, a setting and we all have a place, but th- this is about the greater rules of your universe. Uh, and they goes to all kinds of things. So it doesn't necessarily have to be just fantasy, sci-fi, or something along those lines. You can have... You know, rules for your world, even in a Nicholas Sparks novel or something like that. Uh, but to go and talk about a little bit about world building, uh, how do you guys feel about world building? I love world world building. I like it. Yes, <laughs> it's one of my favorite parts. Yes. Oh. Uh, and I do it for worlds I may not even create in a book. Yeah, I think that's one of the most important things to know about it. If you're a writer and you're doing world building, is that it's like an iceberg. Ninety percent of it is under the water. And yeah. The reader will never see it. It's a difficult lesson to learn. Yes, there is a tendency, like, when you invent something cool to be, like, to show it somehow. But you have to understand, like, when it's better to just keep it in the background. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, uh, well, first let's start off with, like, some, like, some good examples. Yes, good examples of world building. Good examples. So anyone have a great world building world? I do. Okay. Oh, do you? Throw one out. Avatar The Last Airbender cartoon. The cartoon, yes. Let's, let's be specific. specific. Yes. yes, the cartoon. Though Asif Mavi, you are awesome. <laughs> yes, he is. I don't. I haven't seen that movie, but yes. Well, <laughs> how about uh, what do you like so much about this Avatar thing? One thing that I loved about Avatar: The Last Airbender, the cartoon, um, was that each nation was distinct. Each. Um, each way of bending, the, the superpowers, the elemental things. Those were all um, martial arts, but their styles were all different. The ways people dressed, the cultures, all different. And then the history. Oh my goodness. Um, there are things that you find out that are problems in uh, the series when we 
begin, you know, when we join, when we join our heroes, some things are problems. And then you find out as the series goes on, they were not problems to start with. And you get a sense of history of continuity. Like you're in an actual. It does. There, there are probably what there's easily a thousand years of history in the avatar world. Most of which you don't even get to know, but you have a sense of, and I love too, that they almost play with genetics with the bending because genetics, you know, bending runs through families. It yeah. runs through bloodlines and stuff like that. Uh, you know, so you can wipe out benders and you can, you know. And there are levels of bending, too. Yeah. They take things, um, the basic four element structure, and then they push it to see, like, what would someone who, you know, if everyone can do this, what would someone who's really a master of this? Metal bending. bending. Oh, my goodness. I love her. And also, <laughs> swap bending, too. Yeah, oh, that yeah cool. that's very particular. And it's also a thing where, like, how would... The ability to do that changed the world. Like in the Earth City, uh, they have those kind of like subway cars yeah. that are just powered by the benders. Like yeah, they can't people pushing rock basically. They don't have electricity or steam, no. so they can't run them like that. But they can run a similar thing just by having that guy there. But then the Fire Nation had tons of technology because they did have the forges. They had the ability to have the steam. They almost had a steampunk style. It was kind of awesome because yeah, they could jump it by uh, producing hotter fire than yep. people that level normally could, so they could make better metals. Exactly. The air temples, everything like where they're located in the in the in the world too like the air temples are literally in the air because if everyone's an airbender you don't necessarily need to figure out how to get up there and they had air bisons yes which well, are inherently yeah. awesome All but they the, also um, have their glider things you know? i like oh, that yeah, the, the, uh, the creatures too. even the animals like yeah. the air bison they all had were specific to the nation well they also then one of the beautiful things there is they would take two Animals that wouldn't make any sense, yep. like a turtle and a rabbit, and put them together, and now you got a turtle rabbit. Like a platypus moose. Yeah. <laughs> Although... So that was awesome. Yeah. And that's another thing with the bending, is that it's not exclusive to people. Like, it's yeah. something that happens in all living things. Like, uh, there's those badgers that... Uh, yeah, oh, the badgers, yes. The uh, earthbenders? They, they taught the original earthbenders. And that's because they use cards it here. in their lives. To move around in the dirt real fast. That roots their magic system in the natural order of yes. their world. Which was yes. just beautiful world bending. Or world bending. World <laughs> building. <laughs> That's well, they, adorable. They are classic world benders, though. They're freaking amazing at it. Oh, and then there was also the relationship between nations. Yes. Like, bending didn't just change the technology of the world. Like, and the uh, power structure. It changed how nations interact with one another. And... The benders being at war also, like, seriously, I, they dealt with propaganda and stuff. I was so happy. Yeah. It's like, these are lies. And you get you finally get to the Fire Nation. You're they like, dealt, yeah, they dealt with refugees yeah. and all kinds of things. And you have, because Aang was there um, 100 years before and was there before all the mess got going, he brings memories to the Fire Nation that, like, they've not been taught. They don't know that they were actually really awesome people. Like... Good dancing so, episode. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, so you can... So, I think uh, what I'm picking up is good about this is that a lot of elements are intertwined. A lot of elements are different, and they're explored in ways that suggest, like, somebody thought, okay, if I were a person and I could move the air around with my mind, or with my fancy hand gestures... Uh, what would I do with that? Exactly. There's a lot of thought. And that that's one of the things of world building is you have to put in that thought. They took they took the premise of, you know, 
what if people could wield elements? And they moved out from there. Yeah. They brought they, it to a logical conclusion. Yes. I'm going to emphasize the word logic, too. Because <laughs> that's what I think defines, quote-unquote, poor world-building is when logic is sort of forgotten in favor of awesome stuff. Sometimes you can get away with it, but most of the time you have to put a certain amount of logic in in order for the audience to buy it. Yeah, plausible. Needs to be plausible. Hmm. The, the rules of your story need to uh, work well. And the you need rules to of the stick world. to them. Yeah. That's, the, that's, I think, the hard part, is uh, picking a rule and sticking with it. And mm-hmm. if you break it, it needs to have a really good reason. And, yeah, and sometimes, like, I think uh, deciding on a rule might lead you to a story turn that you weren't planning on. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, maybe you go back and fix it, or maybe you just follow it. But uh, let's also talk about a different setting, even more, way more intricate, or um, Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, has anyone read The Silmarillion, aside from... You know? I have. All right, I got one other guy. I have the cliff notes. Oh, okay. I've seen pieces of Colbert Report where he talks about it. No, I don't know. He's like he's uh, the one of the top three like Tolkien scholars. Yes, almost kind of crazy, but yes. Okay, so okay, but yeah, to go into Lord of the Rings. For those of you who don't know about the Silmarillion, it is a compendium. I guess would be a good way of putting it. Yes, to the books, and it describes. Way more than you would ever want to know about <laughs> Middle Earth. Now, this is like an iceberg kind of thing where, yeah. like, uh, the trilogy is the 10%, and then the Silmarillion is the 90% that yes. you never really needed to see. Yeah, how the gods started, you know, Middle Earth, and, and how the original races were formed, and how they ended up in the, all the way down to Aragorn. So. How Sauron came around, yeah. like, that he was actually just some guy's lieutenant, and he took over afterwards. Power uh, corrupts. Yeah. That, that's a big theme. <laughs> uh, greed corrupts is yes. like probably the biggest theme. Uh, the Silmarillion is named after the Silmarils, which are the most beautiful gems to ever exist. And they also cause a war that lasts, like, what is it, a couple thousand years? It's so, yeah, it's it's really... Didn't Tolkien fight in, like, what was it, World War Two, Something like that? World War One. World, World War One. So, oh, the gas, the gases, okay. Yes. So, yeah, he had seen what was awful about people and about war in general. Well, and- his war in particular, like, World War Two is like a, it's like an aftershock, like, nobody necessarily wanted to do it, but it just kind of happened. Uh, World War One was hubris. It was a bunch of European nations that hadn't fought in a long time, and they were all thinking... Let's get in a war, because I have a lot of people, and I think I could get something out of it. And everyone suffered for it. Mm. Well, it was Isn't also the... Like, trench warfare and gases were used? Yes. yes. It just... Well, it starts from the sense of, it starts from an assassination. The Archduke is assassinated, and that event triggers all these treaties. So if so-and-so gets attacked by so-and-so, we have to go into war, too. So that that's really how it broke down, and everyone, the whole world got into war, because we'd all signed these, you know, mutual aggression treaties. And then, yes, we all dug trenches, because it turned out that since the last time, we'd improved killing each other a lot more than we'd improved battle tactics. Yeah. So standing in front of each other, the Napoleonic style, didn't work out too well with modern guns. And that ended up causing everyone to dig into the ground and lob shells at each other. And then they were like, that's not working. 
So let's stick gas in the shells. And then they did that, and that worked out pretty well. I feel like um, because he experienced kind of the horrors of war, though, there are aspects of Lord of the Rings um, that are darker than I would expect. Like, not... There's a giant spider that eats the light of the world at yeah. one point. But I mean, like, when when um, when Frodo comes back, he is changed. He's changed. And that's that was a big... That's one of the big things. Yeah. It's uh, kind of... I remember it gets skipped over in the movie, I guess, really. No, in no. the movie, he still gets changed. They skip the whole scourging of the Shire. Yeah, but yeah. that's the thing. is like, he gets back home, and home is also ruined. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't exactly go into that in the movie. They kept it a little bit... They really went into the, like, PTSD that everyone seems to have, which... Mm. He touched on, but he was more into war changes your entire world. You come back and it's never the same. So, same okay. message, just told differently. With Lord of the Rings, Silmarillion, school me, please. Well, it, it really just starts, I mean, for its backstory. How does it feed into um, what we see in Lord of the Rings? Uh, it sort of, it creates uh, the background conflict between uh, the forces of evil, which are represented by Sauron, and he has his own kind of lineage that goes back to a uh, sort of Satan-like character Mm -hmm. whose main uh, problem is pride and greed. And uh, it also lays out kind of a history of the peoples, like why a lot of it is about elves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. The elves in Lord of the Rings are, like, fading. They're going to leave soon. Actually, the place they're going back to is something they go over. But uh, it's sort of about, like, you know, a lot about them and, like, their story and their heroic, like, myths and legends and all that. And all that stuff that's uh, allowed them to shape the world how it is. So does that explain why um, in the the film, because I haven't read the third book yet, I suck, um, Gimli and Legolas, when they first meet, there's this elf-dwarf tension? Uh, yeah, so it's because of some things that have happened in their uh, pasts. Yeah. It's also because of the doom that, like, the uh, eldermost god gave them. Because uh, one of the other gods made the dwarves on the sly, which he wasn't supposed to do. He was cheating. And so uh, the big elder god said, well, okay, I'll let you have them. Because they're, they're kind of alive and I'm not going to kill them for no reason. But uh, your kids and my kids, who are the men and elves, they're never going to get along. There'll always be kind of at odds. And, uh, well, there's a lot of stuff like that. There's also, like, where Balrogs come from. Like, uh, it gives... But what it does for the the story of Lord of the Rings, I think, is it has... It puts this whole world in uh, Tolkien's head about, like, where things came from and it gives him a uh, vision of how they should be in the story that he's writing. So he took all of his backstory information that we would normally have in, like, the notes for our stories, and he put them all there. Yeah. Essentially, was... that was, you know, the Silmarillion was, came out of a sense of wanting more, but I think Tolkien had already passed by that point, hadn't he? Yeah, I think they printed it after yeah. he was dead. He was a language. series Bible, is what it was. It, yeah, essentially, that's he exactly what it languages. was. He was a linguist. He, he wrote language for every race of creatures in Middle-earth. Potentially, the whole series was an excuse to invent a bunch of languages. Yes. And write songs. And hug trees. <laughs> so, the languages, though, that's serious world building. That like, is. 
That's hard. And, and no one has gone to that level since. Well, well a couple have done it since, you know, but most, most, instance. yes, most people do not go to that level anymore. It's too much, like, there's too much uh, scholasticism that goes into it. You have to know too many things. Yes. Well, and also, now that Tolkien has created all these languages, I mean, if you were to try and create a new Elvish, everyone would just laugh at you because Elvish has already been created. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, I think it's an example of people playing to their passions, you know. Yes. Like we just said, mm-hmm. um, Lord of the Rings was an excuse to build a lush world that has these gods and demigods and languages and cultures, and that was what Tolkien loved doing, so he built it and then he wrote a story in that playground he made for himself that he'd been having fun splashing around it yes all in the languages too um there's a writer who i love megan durr and she uses expressions like she doesn't write um entirely new languages but language that people use um in everyday like we might say oh my oh my god like but they're you know, world is completely polytheistic and they know all the gods and stuff, they wouldn't say that. They'd say something else. And other things would be used as, like, um, ways of swearing. Mm-hmm. Like, things like that. Yeah, it's really common, actually. There's a ton of stories that do it. I mean, even if you take movies and other things, you know, Battlestar Galactica had frack. Yeah, uh, yeah that's kind of... Pirates the, of Darkwater had Noiji Tot, I mean. That's kind of the, like, uh, cheaper and easier way of doing the yeah, uh, Tolkien you- thing. Well, I think that's how you duck the censors. Yeah, it's like your that's characters part of it can too. swear a lot on screen, but if they're not saying actual swear words, the in English. censors mm, don't I, care. That's a, well, that's I mean, a side like, bonus, yes. I feel like it comes out of culture, though. Like, creating a culture that is different from ours, and that is important to Well, you, you have to create a, a complete culture, a whole culture, and that's slang is part of culture. You, know, you also have to create a, a style of dress. You're also going to have to think of... You know, different aspects of that world. What do they eat? What do they think? How do they speak? Where do they go and hang out? We go to coffee houses. In previous times, they've gone to bars. In previous times, they just sat around that oak tree. You know, so it's you have to think about that when you're world building. And, and that's what world building is. I mean, it's taking what's to your world, making it specific, you know, set of rules to follow in your world. And then rounding it out with other stuff that makes it a complete world. Logical. Logically. Complete. We hope. I think uh, kind of the uh, crucible I use is that, like, I try to write a small vignette about, like, somebody, just some regular person, walking around a city in that world, having the normal day. Hmm. Nobody needs to see that. That's my Silmarillion. I'm just going to talk that way. <laughs> but uh, if you can do it... Well, when you do it, you're going to find a lot of questions that you haven't answered yet, which uh, I think is always important. Like, you kind of, like, he walks around the corner, he's like, it gets to midday, he's like, oh, I'm hungry. What does that character eat? You know, okay. what would they have in that kind of area? So, like, a day in the life in the Shire or something? Yeah, like, if you're, uh... My day in Bree. Yes. <laughs> if you're, like, writing about a city that's on, like, a coast, you go, like, well... They're on a coast, and this isn't this is an era before lots of refrigerated shipping, so they probably eat a lot of fish. Maybe you go somewhere, and there's like a specific kind of fish that the uh, people in this area do. You know, it's just that like minor things like that, and then you take that, and when you're writing your actual story, you just mention offhandedly they eat this particular kind of fish. FYI, I'm totally going to do that now. I think it's awesome because it's hard for me to ask myself questions. Like the right questions all the time, but if you're 
going through it as a writer in a story, like trying to figure all that out, it mm-hmm. makes you ask those questions. You don't have to think of them. They're just right in front of you. There's an awful sinking feeling for the first page. And then after <laughs> that, it'll be great. Oh my goodness. I guarantee it. Thanks for the heads up. <laughs> You'll be like, oh God, I didn't figure out anything. So, um, before uh, we started, I tried to think of um, some things that were not so great with world building that we had all seen. We came up with a little list. Oh, yes. 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 Someone else should read it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, well, so are we talking about bad world building here? Yes, poor, because we've poor talked about... world building. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we've talked about um, the good world building. Yes. Should we, do you want to talk about... Yeah, let's what, jump into bad world building. Or we can discuss why... What's important. We can talk about what's important in world building if that's... Well, we can finish out with that, I think. Yeah, let's finish out with that. Keep with the good, and then we'll move and to the bad. Also share kind of what, you know, we've... What we Matt do. says what he likes to do is he likes to write vignettes that exist within the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So, um, we've all seen Aliens, but we wanted to discuss Prometheus, the Resident Evil films, and the Underworld films. I love them, but there are problems with the way the worlds are set up. What problems did you have in mind? Which one should we start with? (laughs) Oh, there's so many to choose from. All right, I'm going to start with... Let's go with Prometheus first. All right. Yes. Let's start with Prometheus, and we'll... That's a famous one. Very pretty movie. Pretty. Very pretty. We were talking about the fact that the, the early alien ones, the early alien movies, have some decent world building. The first one especially in the sense of, you know, ship needs to land on a planet. Planet has weird alien. Weird alien kills everyone on ship. Ship blows up to kill weird alien. <laughs> you know, lone human flies off. The in, second uh, one... very skimpy thong. The, you know, the, okay. But, <laughs> yeah, the underwear. We know. Yes. We all know about the underwear. The second oh, one, yes. you know, we're, you know, Marines have to go down onto the planet, too, because they lost contact with the terraformers who terraformed the planet who really quickly. Who shouldn't have gone there in the first place. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of a, it happened again. No, it's like... It's... History repeating itself? No, it's totally that. But and jumping past that, then you have the third one, where, for some strange reason, all the main characters from the first couple of movies have now died tragically in the very first first five minutes of the that movie because okay. they couldn't get them that and then we go into thing that was really yeah. awful and bad mm-hmm. and there's something like that in uh the resident evil films too yes so. and and then we jump to the next one and the next one and then we end up in prometheus where there's a prequel some, that yeah. managed to screw up the perfect the perfection that is the first alien movie really the terribleness starts with the very first scene and that part where <laughs> the guy shows up on the planet and he drinks the thing and dies, and then some DNA goes in the water. He yeah. sees it with the broken bits of his own body, and then that makes plants and stuff somehow, because I guess those were inside him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, he like, how so did... Life inside him. Well, and then the how fact that the aliens evolve? are just kind of genetically created to and wipe out the human race, but... But they and they got the stuck humans. on this planet over here, and we don't actually run into them until we land on that planet to go check them out. I don't know. That was my big problem with Prometheus. Yeah, I'll I'll break it down a little bit on how I feel. Take us to school. Um, Now it's time for a breakdown. I love the Alien franchise a whole lot. And I won't say that I know everything about it. But I will say that it's a great example of uh, the evolution of a series, let's say. When they made the first movie. First off, every single movie has a different director except for Ridley Scott, who did both Prometheus and alien but he had a lot of years in between there Mm. to make a lot of movies of various varying quality um 
But the the first Alien movie was no, it wasn't intended to be a franchise. No. And it was a horror movie. It was in space. a horror movie in space. It revolutionized sci-fi yeah. because it gave a certain amount of weight. Because Star Wars revolutionized sci-fi, gave it a certain amount of mass cultural relevance. But everything was kind of still lighthearted and a little Buck Rogersy. And then male driven. Yes, and then Alien came along, and Alien was an actual creepy horror movie in which the alien creature and the sci-fi elements weren't played for laughs or played for ooh goofiness it was actually a threat it was actually scary and it had enough ground in the real world like you can imagine being a trucker being marooned somewhere and getting attacked by a wild animal that's basically what it was only on a scale that we hadn't seen before and that was the scarier part because we didn't know anything about that alien and how it worked and why it was the way it was and where it came from that level of mystery made it scary that's why it was such a good movie and then it moved on to james cameron making aliens we already know a lot about these aliens we learned it all in the first movie so the next logical step to go with it according to Cameron was to turn it into a sci-fi action flick. Yep. That's the reason it's my favorite in the series because I like sci-fi action flicks. It's so space it's a war. good one. It's a good sci-fi action flick. Well, more directors come in with more ideas and layer more and more kinda semi-transparent onion layers on top of this strange you know, this this kernel of perfection that was the first one. It's a very simple story, creepy alien, uh Truckers in space. Got it. We understand that. But the more we add, the harder it is to understand. Well, and then we get to Prometheus. And in Prometheus, everything we understand about aliens somehow gets, like, undermined uh-huh. and weirded out. And it's so left field apart from what we're used to in the Alien franchise, I have a hard time including it in that universe. Um, Too many things got explained, I think, in a lot of the uh, sequels. Like, in the first one... You have, uh, that's like the iceberg, like the 10% is you see the alien ship, and it's full of eggs, and there's a guy in a chair whose chest has been bursted. You yep. don't care about who that guy is. His name was the Space Jockey. It really it doesn't even matter. No. Yeah, like, they had, like, a stupid term for him, and nobody even said it in the movie. No. But, like, there was a, where did these aliens come from? Yes. We don't know. Maybe they're just some kind of eldritch horror that's all over the universe. And uh, you don't need to know any of that because it's a horror movie. You knew what it needed to be. The story benefits from not knowing those things. Exactly. There's a feeling that there's something else going on. There's a bigger universe. Um, and then slowly you explain that there's a queen structure, and then you explore the other things, and you know too much. Yeah. I've realized, because of what you were talking about, actually all of these, the three examples, um, are part of film franchises where I love the first one, like Alien, and as the series progressed, stuff just got more and more broken. Prometheus, broken. Resident well, Evil, another thing is, they, they, so they take, they take the eggs, or these eggs, or whatever, and the, yeah. these alien races that are here, but now if you jump into Alien vs. Predator, 
Now those eggs are being used for the predator species as some sort of manly test of manhood kind of thing. Yet, now we know that these were biologically engineered to destroy humans, so, like, how did they get dropped here on the planet by the hunters, I'm guessing? Uh-huh. You know, it, they've confuddled, they've confused and befuddled the world so much yeah. that we don't even know what's happening. It's and, more confusing than it is beneficial world building. Exactly. And, and the purpose of the building of the world is thrown out. We don't care when it starts getting so confusing that it's work to figure or out. Or when you're, you know, canceling yourself out because in this world it means one thing, but in this time it means another, and, you know, yeah, like, you can't keep track. I, In the service of telling a good story, they did great. First mm-hmm. one, some second ones, whatever. Um, but then as they kept going, telling the good story did not actually fit with what they had already established. And what I don't like is that there was, in those movies, no real no real acknowledgement of what they had broken. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my goodness. So, Well, you um, bring up Resident Evil. Yes. Resident Evil started off as a video game adaptation. A poor one, I might add. Okay. Oh, it, it was, was yes. I enjoyed the movie, but as a yeah. game yeah, adaptation, yeah. an adaptation of the first game, it was, or as the, all the games, yes. it had very little to do with it besides the T-virus and liquors, and that's it. So they took these things, though, and they pushed it to a conclusion of what would happen if there was an outbreak by a really creepy, creepy, creepy company. Umbrella. Yeah. I guess Umbrella also counts. Yes. But the point is that the Resident Evil movie, they kind of put the title Resident Evil on it for brand recognition. It could have been any zombie-style movie. Because there are lots of movies that have zombies created by lab testing. Sure. Isn't uh, The Walking Dead one of those? I don't remember. They haven't the really defined where the zombies come from yet in the car in the the television series but, anyway. Yeah. Taking, I haven't read the comics, so taking I don't know. just the Resident Evil series, mm. you're looking at and they do they they have gone far afield and stuck a little bit to the, you know, video games that they're coming from. I mean they did bring in yeah. Ada Wong. The point is that the the, the if you take the first movie for yeah. an example the first movie is starting a franchise. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, they've de- deviated enough from Resident Evil that you don't need to have played Resident Evil to understand what's going on. This is good. This yes. is a good thing they did. Yes. The bad thing they did is they took that thing, and we can talk about Silent Hill, too, in the same situation. Yep. They took this thing that they kind of broke away from the source material to make their own canon, but then they didn't respect the changes they made and tried to do too much at once, and it confused the message, confused the rules. Like, we know... Uh, Alice in the Resident Evil movies worked for Umbrella and she was some sort of a secret agent but she was conspiring against them and as she learns about her own past because she had amnesia as you do and uh, and all these things we discover something and then the movie ends and that's great second movie starts and we take that little bit but we don't grow on that little bit instead we introduce a whole bunch of extra complicating elements and we add that to the pot. And then the third movie comes along. And then they and they don't bother like building on that either. No. They just add more stuff and add more and more stuff until you you look at it. You're looking at the four well take the fourth movie is like when it finally broke itself over its own knee. You look at the fourth movie and you can tell that they didn't even bother referencing what came before. They just told the story with these names of characters and these actors coming back and that was kind of the goal. Yeah, they in the fourth one which um, was fun because they played with their own alternate universe thing, kind of. They had an alternate universe thing going where 
you know, this is a simulation and we're going to have yeah. all the same people, but we're going to change the personality here and see what happens and which one dies. So like soon as whatever. Um, no, they did. I think you're talking about the fifth one. Is that the fifth one? It's the the fifth fourth one. one is the one where they go to the boat. It's uh, true. And then they go to the prison. Yeah. Alright, this is the depressing fifth one, then, Yeah, the because... fifth one is the one where they have the cool underwater facility. And that was almost the one most like a video game. Yeah, because they had levels. Yeah, yeah, I love Michelle Boss Rodriguez. Like, you can't a gun? I can shoot a gun. It was like, aw. The four, A plus for Michelle Rodriguez being given a part that isn't the part she plays in every single other movie that yes. she's in. But the fourth one broke it because in the third one they established... Alice has superpowers. She has an army of clones. The world has been destroyed by the T-Virus. There's no water. Uh, bands of Mad Max-style refugees roam the world killing zombies. In the fourth movie, there, someone looked at that script and said, Screw that. And in the first you know, little scene, they undid all those things so they could tell a story about people being in a prison. They're like, hmm, superpowers. I don't want to deal with that. And the- Here's an injection. Done. Out. Here's the difference between good world building and poor world building. Obviously, someone who's built a good, strong world that you can play in for a lot of different stories has all those rules and and archetypes and whatever laid down that they can follow throughout any tale. As opposed to these examples of poor world building where they didn't have an underlying understanding of anything. They didn't communicate that understanding to anyone who was going to then work on the project. They just let whomever do whatever they wanted to, and before long it was too complicated for anyone to keep track of, so they gave up and did whatever they want. They they started with something good, and then they didn't follow it. They They didn't didn't keep the logic. They didn't didn't respect their own content. Yes. And that is a problem. (laughs) And that's the problem. That's why you need good world building. I mean, mm-hmm. the reason we're talking about this isn't that they didn't have good world building in the sense of they were able to create a world, they were able to put rules in it, they have specialty rules for different monsters and sp- different peoples and, you know, throughout their entire world, but they've contradicted themselves, they've done all these other kinds, they've overcomplicated issues, they've totally dropped issues, they've stepped on their own toes, and mm-hmm. it, that's bad world building. And it's bad because it throws you out of the story. Like, yeah. If a story is supposed to be an immersive experience... And we're following something. We we expect a kind of logic to it. It doesn't matter if it's fantasy, sci-fi, or real world. Whatever. I find it really disrespectful to both the audience and the artists. Mm. Like, everybody involved. If you don't care enough to put something together that makes sense, or that exhibits the basic amount of thought, well, then you can't... Then obviously you don't expect me to think during your movie, and then you've lost my interest. See, and here's the thing. I love the Resident Evil movies. I've seen all of them, and I've <laughs> seen, watched all of them multiple, multiple times, because A, I love Mila, uh-huh. and I love watching her kick butt, and I've oh, watched yeah. almost every movie she's ever kicked butt in. You know, I I, I even love uh, the... I can't even think of it. It's the one with the vampire one. Ultraviolet. Ultraviolet. Love yeah, that I was one. I just thinking that. I just hate the kid in that. <laughs> I love her in that. I just can't stand the kid, but, you know... They're wonderful action movies. Do action movies need to follow all the canons of world building to be great action movies? Yes. To be, you know, good action movies that I'm going to watch time and time again? I'll let some things slide. Well, there's no crime in watching a movie that is not perfect. Yeah. And there's no crime in liking anything that's not perfect. But don't like... The difference is when you like something well, I think, in spite of it being bad or you like something and ignore that it's bad. Well, when like, it comes if you're to your world... It's like maybe focus a little bit more. Well, the the difference. If you care is, about doing it well, you should 
do it differently. <laughs> Anyone who's listened to me on these podcasts knows I love the Transformers franchise to death. I love Transformers a lot. I know it's really corny, and I'll be the first one to point out everything that is weird and broken about it, but I love it anyway. It's I'm almost more of the love is because I can sit down and roll my eyes about that script that they used. And the same with Power Rangers. Love them. And just even the first season, like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, what world is like that? Like, these monsters are attacking your your city only. No one else in the world has sent in anything to talk to deal with this. Like, and there is no army, no cops, or anything else. Yeah, there there are no police. Nobody really seems concerned there's unless there's a teenagers. monster right there, and then they run. And then their life is and, what? No. And then the whole city is the exact same city that's empty, made out of cardboard boxes. That is continuing to fight in. Like, I well, that's wonder, too. Like, the city gets destroyed every episode. Yeah, I wrote but a then it's rebuilt once. and it's always fine. I wrote a fanfic once about like. What happens to the people who, you know, were in that office building that got destroyed? Or, you know, I have the same experience well, with every Superman. Yeah, right? I imagine. Just trying to imagine <laughs> yeah. the obituaries in these newspapers. Like, oh. all these people died today. Here's a, that's Yay, a... Power Rangers. Stomped to death by drooling fish monster. Yeah. <laughs> he will be missed. <laughs> that's a, actually, the new uh, Superman movie. That was a problem a lot of people had with it, yeah. I think. Hmm. Is towards the end... It was a it was a world problem because like they were flying through the buildings and everything was getting destroyed. Mm-hmm. And I think actually they had like somebody's body at one point being thumped up and down by the mining laser. Oh my! That's what I remember. <laughs> and uh, that bothered people, but it didn't bother the writers. Yeah, because they didn't think about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's always been my thing with Superman. I mean, Superman is super strong, and he chucks people through buildings. He'll constantly, especially in the cartoon. You know, he'll destroy a bridge and then catch the bridge parts before they smash down on the people. But now that bridge is no Someone longer there. Somebody that. has to rebuild that bridge. I mean, yeah. Bruce Wayne, you kind of understood. Maybe Batman, you know, maybe Bruce Wayne just donates to millions of yeah. dollars to the city every He's year. He's also got limits. But Superman does not. So Metropolis literally just has to shell out billions probably every Which year actually, to rebuild the buildings and the bridges and that, everything else that Superman destroys. That actually probably explains probably leave. some of why Lex Luthor hates Superman so much. It's like, really? I just rebuilt that. I yeah. just, just rebuilt that. that. Oh, why do people love that guy? It's like a vandal, damn. Yeah, he's a freaking alien graffitiing all over my city. <laughs> why? And if you think about it, nearly, you know, most of the supervillains that come there specifically to fight Superman, so yeah. he's really the reason why it happened. Yeah, he's like, one, no, go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Please, we just, we want an hour of peace. Leave us I think there. really, like, the people would probably leave at some point. Like, if, yeah. uh, <laughs> if you lived in, like, if, say if in St. Louis, every week, like, five tornadoes hit. Would you live here anymore? It would be on one of... There are lists of, like, most dangerous cities. Like, supervillain attacks would definitely be on there. Yes. Like... It would be, like, way worse than living even, like, somewhere in California. It would be a ghost town. It's... Well, especially if you think about it. So, if you take Metropolis as New York, which is often done, Mm -hmm. then you have Superman, you've got, like, Tony Stark, you've got, well, the Avengers Tower, you've got... Uh, the Spider-Man's the in New York. Spider-Man's in New York. Gotham You've got is also the, New York. Um, these are yeah. different DC Marvel uh, d- works. Di- different money. universes, yeah. but yeah. technically if it's all the same city, then why would anyone live in that city? It would be very Even dangerous. if you just take Marvel's New York, which, which oh. houses... 
the majority of the Marvel characters. Uh-huh. I mean, it's it's a great place if you want to go see, you know, s- superheroes. But if you're like a normal person, I don't know if I'd live there. Oh, they're tourist <laughs> attractions. That's so cute. You'd eventually. I don't want to stand next to the Baxter Building. Okay, I'm sorry. You'd, you'd eventually know who all the super superheroes were. Their their identities because they would be the only ones still living in the city, pretending to be regular people. Uh-huh. <laughs> Everybody else who's not there for is tourism. That what, like, is that what New York's going to turn into? Just like, people yes. pretending yes. they're not Yeah, superheroes. the Green Goblin attacks, and Peter Parker's the only one who goes, Oh, no! <laughs> Everyone else is so used to it. <laughs> this is a great example of world building we're doing right now. We're yes. thinking about the world of Marvel's, Marvel, Marvel superheroes, and we're put, bringing it down to an average Joe, what would you actually do in the situation place. Day in the life vignette. Yes. That's how you build some uh, build some worlds. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, actually, let's talk about uh, how what's important in world building. Okay. Um, so I'm going to... I'll start off on this. Uh, let's say you're taking it from a, like a fantasy level where you're God and you're yeah. inventing an entire world from the ground up. Uh, that's difficult because you have to think of all the things that go into a world, which is a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it's uh, monotheistic or polytheistic or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Even before you get there, I think, you have to, like, you need to know, like, a couple things about, like, geology, yeah. uh, weather patterns, um, crops are a good thing to know about. <laughs> uh, the geography and life, how that affects the weather climate. Yeah. Yeah. Life revolves around uh, what kind of food you can farm up or hunt and gather. Yep. You need that, or there's no people, and yeah. that's all determined by geology because animals yes. go to certain areas where it's you know beneficial to them. Crops are only growable in certain areas. Are they the same kind of animals that we have? If not, how would that change? Yeah. Like whether they're domesticatable or and how people would hunt them, or if they would, yeah, if they could, even. or yeah. if the people are being hunted and where they would then move to, so that it would be a safer location from these monsters. I would exactly. like to no longer live in a place full of dragons that pillage and burn my village. Yes. I'm tired of rebuilding my house. And maybe people live in caves. I don't know. But, but the uh, dragons are in the caves, so then you're... <laughs> you there. Tired of rebuilding my cave. Well, maybe people would just all be dead then. But, yeah, uh, you've created an unsustainable world. <laughs> oh, well, then, okay, we scrap it. We start over, because clearly that one would not work. Uh, but Technology, too. Yeah, technology is a good thing. Uh, I think in most cases, it's really good to go by like real-life analogs, kind yeah. of. If you can Use find a real land, you, you also need to develop the power structure, the political structures of your lands. Mm-hmm. You know, because that plays into everything. And social. Yeah. It goes all the way down. What kind of structure do you have? Uh, um, how about this? There is a, uh, in our land of superheroes, where they're the only ones who live in New York, um, the government, no one in the government ever goes there anymore. <laughs> so who actually would be in charge? Like... Who would police things until everyone human had moved out? Captain America? Uh, I think, uh, okay, a good thing here is that uh, up until the point where superheroes show up, mm. our, the history of our world is the same as the history of the real world. Yes. yes. Don't have to do any work there. Yeah. So you can just start from there. You're like, okay, this happens, and then what happens to the real world? Mm-hmm. Like maybe uh, the president just says, like, okay, this is a martial law area. Nobody's going in here anymore. And they put up a wall around it. They set tanks at the border. Are the superheroes now able to legally fight crime? Like, do uh, they have to register? I'd say they wouldn't be allowed to leave. If they could possibly at all stop them. So then it's a segregated... It's it's 
you know, an internment camp for superheroes. And, and now it's the Hunger Games. The yeah, villains love from, them. Like Escape from New York with Super that would, make the, New York. that would make the Hunger Games so much more exciting if they had superpowers. Superpower Ooh, Hunger Games. trying would. to kill each other. And then, like, what would that do, too, if you found out that some guy was an alien from outer space with all these superpowers? And, like, what happens if you did not believe in aliens? Like, would you question your entire worldview? Would you question, like, God and religions if that guy over there is apparently Thor? Mm-hmm. Like... <laughs> It's got to shake some that things That might up. shake my, my beliefs in the gods a little bit if all of a sudden Thor came down on the Rainbow Bridge and was like, you know... Oh. You're like, huh, magic's yeah. a thing. I bet oh, on the wrong the horse. horse. <laughs> all those fairy tales I read maybe were warnings. Who knew? I don't know, but Thursday would become a lot more interesting. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, Thursday would be the weekend. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but yeah, and then, I mean that's all things to think about when you're world building. So and, and language too, like, language. Like slime. really, just look around. If uh, you want to go Tolkien's round of creating your own language, good luck. Yeah, great luck. Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. even <laughs> um, just the basics. Well, it's been done. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dragonlance Chronicles has a lot of phrases. They don't go and create an entire world, but they do have elvish phrases, dwarvish phrases, stuff like that. People speak differently, and the way that your language sounds affects. Kind yes. Of the way you speak to. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of... Oh, sorry. And fashion. Yeah, climate yeah. Uh, climate and geography especially, there are some good resources online that I can't name at the moment uh, that give you sort of quick and dirty rules for how uh, weather and uh, geography work. Thing about, like, tectonic plates and stuff. And also, like, if you have a prevailing wind uh, on the... One side of the mountain range, there's going to be farmland, and then yep. the other side, desert. So there's a lot of uh, good, like, little books about that kind of thing. Uh, look them up, find them if you can, read them. They will be very helpful. Or just grab a map and check out what works in this actual world. Yes. And how does it affect the currency and the travel between places, too? Like, if martial law is declared no one's allowed to leave New York, isn't there was a... Um... What would all the businesses doing? Like, where would Wall Street go? Maybe Wall Street goes two places because they're uncoordinated. No yeah. man's land. No man's land. Batman. Batman. Yeah. Comic, where Gotham is it. shut off. What happens when all of these Arkham supervillains and like superheroes in Gotham are left to their own devices? We so need that movie. Oh, that well, is a very interesting the game idea. Series. Yeah, yeah like, it, but I kind of wanted Christian Bale to make that movie. Oh. <laughs> Which gets into money and currency. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that's another good point, because money and currency are important. What Are they using the dollar if we're in here, or is it the superhero dollar with, you know, Tony Stark's face on it or something? Is it a barter system? Like, money, yeah. the way things work can change from one street to another. Mm-hmm. Like, it depends. If you have an immigrant um, who runs a shop, and then next door you have, like, a Walgreens or something... You're going to have to pay exactly what's there in Walgreens. But, like, you could potentially barter with the people in the other shop, depending on how much you know about them and their culture and whether or not you're one of them. Anyway, Is that, like, like, in the old Zelda games where, like, the one guy had stuff cheaper than the other guy? Mm-hmm. You had to go walking all the way around the map to find the one guy who had it cheaper? It's like when, <laughs> when people... Uh, who I've never been. It's not fair. Like, people talk about, oh, yeah, I went to such and such country and went to the market, and this was blatantly overpriced, and their friend who's from there is like, you could have gotten that for, like, a third the price. Why didn't you barter? Mind blown. Yeah, that's It's something that's a, it's a big part of other countries that we do not really have here in the States. 
I'm glad because it makes me nervous. Well, it's always just annoying because I personally just want to buy it and get out of there. Exactly. You know, I don't really want to spend 20 minutes going, well, no, I, you know, and then you put it down and you say, no, I'm not going to buy that. Which is an interesting thing about American culture yeah. versus other cultures. We go a lot faster, whether that is good or bad, and we just want to be done. I really mm-hmm. liked the idea of like sitting in a restaurant for like three hours and just chatting with people. Here, you don't do that. They give you looks. <laughs> very, very, very angry looks. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's lots of just little things to think about like that. Like, even with currency, it's just, you know, whether you're going to have, like, fiat money or whether it's uh, just gold coins yep. with somebody's face on it. Or barter. Uh, and actually, reading about history is really good on that. Yeah. Find out how it works in the real world, and you'll have at least a good framework for figuring out, like, you know, how do werewolves affect the economy. I think or that... Or whatever it is. <laughs> that's kind of what happened with Depends Avatar. The yeah, I would agree. Cartoon. There's the Avatar is, is very much grounded in a, in a real-world sense of the world, just twisted for bending. Yeah. Each nation yeah. had a loose basis in an actual nation in our world. To put it in screenwriting terms, uh, Avatar The Last Airbender is like a real world that has one big buy. Which is, uh, there's one big thing that's different, and it changes everything. But it's only that one thing. Mm-hmm. Everything else is like the real world. Yeah. That's an easy way to keep things reined in. Magic is real. Superheroes are real. What would change in these places? Right. Exactly. I world building often comes fish. from questions. Questions yeah, what are if? important. Yeah. What if questions? What would a day be in the life? What would a day in the life be like in someone who found out that they were a wizard? Hmm. You can make a whole series out of that. You probably could. I know. And like, what happens before they find out they're a wizard? It's like there's things just talking to snakes. No, that brings us crazy. (laughs) Like making glass disappear and people blow up and like balloons. Yes. All right, well, that was another exciting episode, so uh, we hope you've enjoyed the world building. Um, anyone have any last thoughts they would like to share about world building? Mm, it takes a long time. Be prepared to kind of weave it like a web. I would agree with that. I'd say it's a woven, like a blanket or a tapestry. Mm. or. But don't let the complexity of world building prevent you from writing your story. Exactly. At some Be- point, you got to stop. Chances are your subconscious will have formed enough of an idea of a lot of these things remember the, the glaciers don't break yourself or the iceberg i've yes. been using the wrong oh god <laughs> <laughs> and on that note <laughs> all right just remember the iceberg it's a good one all right have a one we'll see you next time the right- theme songs for right pack radio were written and performed by meredith tate all copyrights remain with her right pack radio would like to thank stl books for allowing us to record in their office STL Books is an online bookstore specializing in new and used high-quality literature, children's books, and books written by or about St. Louis. Please visit them online at www.stlbooks.com or find their store on the Amazon.com website. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? 
Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.